2: Back I'd invite the whole white world to come back to school, where you learn how to lay down the floor without listening to the truth Do it, break, just break. But there we can find another way, like I feel for you. Feeling that it's true, there's a way to love. Life is so much better whenever the way. With every song song's a good song And everyone can sing your love The way you love Is always understood so
3: Never hear enough of Roy Orbison, and um, today we have a very touching show because it's one of um, my favorite and is my co-host, Spencer Drake's favorite artist, Roy Orbison. And today we have Roy Orbison Jr. with us, who is going to be talking with us about um, the new authorized Roy Orbison, the book. And as well as some new tracks that they've released, um, you know, because they are awesome musicians. And there's quite a story behind a lot of the music that they are releasing. And that song is called The Way of Love, and the book is just amazing. And we're going to talk a lot about that, and and uh, I've been told we're going to hear some really great stories here. So let me bring in my guest host, and I also wanted to say real quick, before we start our show, um, today um, is um, Allie McManus's album, Unbreakable, um, dropped today. I wanted to just give a plug on that really quickly because we had her on about a week ago and she's a very special and uh, um, I think that everyone needs to know it's dropped today. It is available on iTunes and everywhere else and with that... Let me bring on um, Spencer and also Roy Jr., and we are going to go into this great show. Welcome, guys, to the show. Hey. Hello, hello. Rock and roll. Oh, what a be- What a beautiful song. And you know what? That's a great song for this week. You know, we just celebrated Valentine's Day, so that's a great song. Just talk yeah, about certainly that. Certainly. It's one of the highlights of my life. Set. Yeah. Oh, I have to tell you, Roy, real quick. Your father, Spencer and I were talking about this because we were talking about how emotional this show is for both of us. Because um, Roy Orbison is one. Your your dad was one of my favorite favorite musicians because to me he seemed like um, he's like a little. He was an earth angel. He was like. Untouched by all the crap that you hear about. Well, I know that everybody lives some sort of things in their life, but he didn't have any kind of real big, like, scandals behind him. Every interview I saw of him, he was so sweet and soft-spoken and kind and and just came alive on stage. But just the black-and-white sessions and all that and this new stuff is just so great. Love the book, too, by the way. So
2: Yeah,
3: the book's just fantastic yeah your dad just amazing person
1: thank you very much thank you very much i agree with all that and um yeah he was really incredible you know um music is so powerful and uh his whole life was music Mm -hmm. and it was a you know it was a an older time so um there wasn't so much to do so (laughs) music was everything for him from the beginning to the end of his life Mm -hmm. and uh that was what he really wanted to do and uh he just happened to be talented enough to take him through Sun Records and, you know, from Buddy Holly all the way till today, everybody everybody kind of loves Roy Orbison. But when you're talking about when you're you know, it sounds like big names, but when you're talking about Shakespeare or Picasso mm-hmm. or John Coltrane, Roy Orbison mm-hmm. actually can fit in there on an emotional level with the music of John Coltrane or Big
3: time,
1: almost mm-hmm. anything, you know. Yeah. So, Great um, analogy. Mm-hmm.
0: Great i I wanted analogy. to bring up something, Roy, that I met. You. I was honored to meet you in New York. I was telling Holly, and um, I gave you uh, my five hundred, uh, my uh, forty-five mm-hmm. RPM book, which, by the way, is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame archival collection. And the thing about it was, and you wrote about this, uh, It ties in with your book because you write about it. Uh, I have the single sleeve. From Roy's uh, "Right Away" uh, song in it, and I believe that was the first MGM single. It was charted at twenty-five, I believe, in the United States. Is in my book, mm-hmm. and I was very honored to be there. And I just want to tell you the approach to my book, uh, which was the first forty-five book, by the way, uh, history book, was that Roy had to be in this book. Uh, he had to be in this book. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? That oh, yeah. and Holly and I both agree. It's like a very major part of Holly in my life. And it had to oh, in, but I just yeah. wanted to tell you that, and I'm so glad I gave you my book, and I hope you enjoyed it.
1: I did. Thank you very much. And that song, Right Away, you know, everything has an angle for us, but uh, I think it was the, in a Geico commercial last year. If not, it was hmm. the previous year. Oh, it was the one with the chicken. And so a lot of people didn't, <laughs> uh, didn't know ah. that song before, but they know that that song actually charts really well for Roy now, because so many people mm-hmm. know it from this wow. commercial, but... That was Roy's idea of kind of a, a Roy Rogers cowboy song, and he mm-hmm. thought he oh, really? would modernize it and make it oh, about I a really? motorcycle. Yeah, if you hear it, it's more of a galloping rhythm. It's more of a um, a horse <laughs> song <laughs> that he
3: mm-hmm. turned
1: into a motorcycle song. I'll uh, ride right
3: away. Wow. You know, this is this is really strange. I know you're probably going to be told this a lot, but you sound so much like your father. In um, your voice, I've listened to interviews of him, and almost identical the speech patterns and the and the soft spoken. That was what really, really, really got me was his voice was so soft spoken and so gentle and soothing. And you have that same yes. same voice. Yep, you do. Well, that's yep. the
1: voice that put me to sleep as a child, but um, wow. I still have it a little wow. bit. Um, Wesley and Alex also also sound a lot like mm-hmm. my dad. Um, you know, if I'm telling a joke, maybe I, maybe I speak a little differently. But, but Roy enunciated very clearly. Um, that was important. Mm-hmm. That was important in the music. He, I can right. always relate this back. I'm going to keep bringing it back to the music in different ways. Uh, but, uh, for instance, at the end of a word, he would always pronounce E-R. You would hear the R's. They weren't ah's. The way that Frank Sinatra mm-hmm. would trail into big vowel, sound like an A, and it was actually U, and these crazy things, Roy, and I think he got that from Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry in, mm-hmm. in interviews, I've I've seen him say that he wanted people to understand his lyrics when they heard it on the radio, and uh, mm-hmm. Roy, got, Roy and Chuck Berry, they both they both they say all the consonants and all the vowels in the when they sing, nearly everybody else goes stylish and they kind of try to. Use slang and things, but um, but Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, so I I got a bit of that, and we grew up in England until I was about five. So there's, and I watched too much Monty Python in my teen years, (laughs) and (laughs) hated those guys. You and I both. Oh
2: yeah. yeah. So
1: um, Roy had a little bit more of a Texan thing, but his his accent was also marbled by his travels. You know, he spent a lot of time Mm -hmm. everywhere, and I grew up in the back of a tour bus. So I had to be understood whether uh-huh. I was in Louisiana or Scotland. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, so I—it's I, so kind of amazing. a neutral. Yeah, that's. How, how
0: uh, Roy? How, how did this book to get together? What, what started this whole uh,
3: journey? Let's say. The Authorized um, Roy Orbison book, yeah.
1: The book, yes, is called the Authorized Roy Orbison. And uh, my brothers Wesley Orbison and Alex Orbison and I wrote it with Jeff Slate, um, a great friend and uh, writer and musician. And we coupled the – it was the end of writing Roy's memoirs. Roy Orbison would be – I don't pay attention to these things because it's too sad, but he's about 80, 81, something. So this would be about the time that he would be writing his memoirs, anyways. And he didn't get a chance to do that, so Alex and Wesley and I wanted to do that, you know, for him. And it was very painful, so it took a lot of years. Mm -hmm. My mother, Barbara, she tried two or three different times and just couldn't come up with something that she felt was important enough, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, that the story was. Was told the right way, so we reverted the story back pretty well to the truth, and uh, we use pictures and you know tour lots of information really. But the information is very interesting, and uh, so we got a lot of tour dates and there's some personal things in there that only Wesley and Alex and I would know. Um, and it's a good overview. It, it's, it took us a long time to do this. Yeah, well, I you know, there's this an
0: interesting story I saw in this um, where uh, Roy meets Johnny Cash Can you hear me? this is the very beginning, you know, in the beginning of the book and he wants to get into Sun Records. And it's a very funny story, actually. And he calls. I think what happens is he calls up Sun Records and uses Johnny Cash's name. And I think Sam Phillips got kind of uneasy about it. But later, of course, he he gets he, they get together. But it's a it's kind of a funny story how he. So he's very you know he he wanted to get in right right Roy he wanted to get in there.
1: Yes, well, Roy was from Wink, Texas, and uh, very close to Lubbock, Texas, where um, Buddy Holly is from. And so those two influence each other, and in the early days, Roy had a very early days. He was eight years old and had his own radio show, Um, Mm. but by the time he was about 15, that was a regional television show in West Texas, and the particular touring route that Elvis and those guys – well, it was really just Elvis and Johnny at that time – they would go through Shreveport, Louisiana, because that's where the Louisiana Hayride used to be, and that would kind of tour. The, they would go through a little tour, um, as you would today, um, of the big populations in Houston and Dallas, and uh, and so they were doing a promotion tour. Roy met Johnny Cash when Roy was about 17 years old. Wow! And um, yeah, that and so and Roy was Roy and Buddy were both really keen to get on Sun Records because of Elvis Presley. That Mm -hmm. was the pinnacle for them. And uh, Mm -hmm. Buddy tried out, and he didn't make it. He was a little bit too country or something, and they put him on Columbia. Mm -hmm. And uh, Roy went on to Sun Records, um, Mm -hmm. where he cut the song Ooby Dooby and quite a lot of great rockabilly. And it's always been interesting to me that they talk about the big rockabilly hits of the time, uh, Blue Suede Shoes and Elvis, and and now Mm -hmm. Johnny Cash is really remembered with Sun Records. And Roy is kind of considered a second tier, <laughs> Sun Records. Mm-hmm. And then, then other people, they only like the really obscure stuff like Charlie Feathers and, and just weir- Warren Smith and all mm-hmm. that. And so both sides, Roy is a little too popular to be rare and not quite number one like Blue Suede Shoes was, although Ubi Doobie was number one regionally in Memphis and in, in Texas. So uh, looking back, it's Roy just doesn't get enough credit for Sun Records, but uh, we sure love Sun Records still. I still listen to all of I those bet. guys. Hey, oh, yeah. Oh,
3: yeah. You know what? I wanted to talk about the song that we opened up with, The Way Is Love. I know there was a story that you said that you were going to tell us a little bit about, where you recorded that and stuff like that.
1: Well, that leads us back to Johnny Cash pretty quickly. But um,
3: yeah, The Way
1: Is Love is a great song to open with. It comes from... An album that we, my brothers and I did in 2014, a re release, mm-hmm. and uh, we found a, um, an unreleased demo and we put new backing tracks on that. Oh. And we did that in Hendersonville, Tennessee, at Johnny Cash's Old Cabin, which is uh, now John Carter Cash, oh, wow. his son. That's his studio mm-hmm. there. And wow. um, so it's, it's the most historic place we could think to do that, and uh, it's got plenty of plenty of mojo that comes along with it that's a uh, uh, johnny cash territory and then that's also where near where my brothers died in 1968 and it's just down the road from where claudette my dad's first wife died in a motorcycle accident in Gallatin, tennessee and uh there's just a lot of history there for us but a lot of love with Johnny Cash and that's where our house burnt and then that's where Johnny Cash's house burnt. And it's kind of in the backyard of my grandparents in that same neighborhood. So I, I could talk about it in personal terms there, but the song The Way is Love, Wesley and Alex and I, it was the first one that we played on together. It got me playing music again. Oh that's great uh, had for quite a while. Mhm.
0: Mhm. So when did uh, you start playing music, Roy? When did you start playing music?
1: Oh from from birth. Um from birth, I know uh, when I, in 1975, I was on stage. My dad, I was in a cowboy outfit on the side of the stage, October 18th, 1975. Wow. And my dad asked me out on stage, <laughs> and he presented <laughs> me with a guitar. We were in Leeds. Oh, how cute. That's yeah. great. That So car? it began there, and then by the next year, he was giving me guitar lessons on You Are My Sunshine oh, I when I was six.
2: Oh, wow.
1: Yeah, this and then favorite. I switched... Cool. Wesley plays guitar, and he's a great singer and songwriter, mm-hmm. but he was a teenager, so when he was about 15, 16, he was playing guitar, so I started playing bass when I was about 11, and uh, I didn't understand the concept, uh, I didn't understand the, the bass's role in music, so I was playing lead guitar on a bass, and my dad saw that, and he said, he said uh, switch back to guitar, that's that's not good. And so, oh, that's um,
3: funny. It so is. I
1: switched back to guitar, and uh, yeah. and uh, I've been playing music ever since.
3: Wow. Do you still have that guitar that your dad gave you that day on stage?
1: Um, yes, yes, actually, we do, we do. Uh,
3: oh, how sweet! So cool. That's so sweet.
1: Mm-hmm. It was one of the first you miniature know, guitars uh, ever made.
3: Uh huh. Oh, I bet! Wow. I bet. What was it like? Like, um, with, was there music always going on in the house? I mean, with you and your brothers and your dad. I mean, I can imagine it's such a musical household. You're all in the music industry. That's uh, yes, true. Yes,
1: but when you work in a studio studio all day, or you just get mm-hmm. done with a show, you actually don't want to hear music for a little while. It's sure. nice to have quiet. Oh yeah. Just, it's really, really silence. And uh, and um, but there was. See, it's it's a blurred line because business and music and and our lives and actually art and religion—it's all pretty well intertwined for us. So, um, yes, what was the question? There was there was yes, a lot of music in the house. Alex plays drums, and and we all um, we all have different talents.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, I wanted to ask a really quick question about the book. And then how it how you all kind of got together and finally finished this book that was an emotional thing for you, I'm sure, for everyone, like you said. Um, when you guys were putting this book together, um, were there any moments of uh that you want to share with our listeners in regards to any certain parts of the book that really really stuck out with you guys, putting it together?
1: Well, I knew for myself that I wanted a book that you could listen to music while you read. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, wow. not all books nice. do That's go great. with music. That's true. Yeah, some books mm-hmm. don't really go with music. It kind of works the same part sure. of the mind, uh, math books, for instance. Um, but but this one, we made it a picture book. Uh, we tried mm-hmm. to make it a little more three-dimensional. And so uh, it's kind of a coffee table book and the size of it. And, and the company, Hachette, that we worked with, the – the colors and the clarity and uh, the print that I have is just unbelievable. Just, just the pictures alone are, are just magnificent. Well, yeah. so um, they are. And so we had whole teams putting this together, and it actually took my dad's mm-hmm. whole life to get these pictures. You know, mm-hmm. So the amount of work that it wow. took, well, it took him. So it's, it's 50 years plus in this book, just on wow. his, his contributions. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. And um, then we, we did an audio book where Alex and Wesley and I, read the book and that we also wanted to be more three dimensional so we added music behind it. Um, we were lucky enough to get all you know, to have all the rights for all the music so so that that stands out a little bit stronger than a, a normal audiobook would. And uh the making of the book it it was a fun project to do with brothers and uh, Jeff Slade is now one of our extended family so he's a brother too and uh um Yes, it was a labor of love, but one that we're really proud of.
3: I bet. Yeah, I uh, tell, us the the, um, uh, tell us about uh, the recording,
0: Roy. Tell us about the recording. of.
3: Yes. Are you there? Oh, I think we lost Spencer. I'm here. Did he, uh, oh, okay. Hopefully he calls, yes. calls back in. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I think he was asking, you know, about the recording. We were going to ask a little bit about the actual um, book that you guys recorded, Um. Is that available the on the Amazon? For, yeah. Yes, it's, a, it's there cool.
1: or at RoyOrbison.com. There's a there's a web store, the Roy Orbison store, and it's there.
3: Oh, fantastic. The audio book okay. mm-hmm. runs
1: about seven hours, and um, mm-hmm. Alex reads the introduction, and he's kind of the narration. And uh, my brother Wesley, he speaks the Roy Orbison quotations. And then I read the book.
3: Oh, fantastic. Okay, I think Spencer's back. Spencer, are you there? Yeah,
1: all right. uh, I am. Yeah, thanks, Paul.
3: Okay. Yeah, he was just talking about the audio book that we were asking about. Oh, yeah, yeah, about. sure. Yeah. yeah, you know what, um, Roy Jr., why don't you give out the website real quick um, so people can go there?
1: Oh, yes, RoyOrbison.com and all of the big uh, websites, uh, all of the big sites, Facebook, oh, yeah. Twitter, YouTube and Everybody's Instagram. Roy is real well represented there. Another good one mm-hmm. is uh, travelingwilberrys.com, you know, for traveling yep. Wilburys kind of stuff. And uh, my personal is Roy Orbison .com and Roy Orbison Jr. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And really, all of us have them. So Alex has this stuff. I and, saw uh,
3: that. Even your wife has the baby. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have a
1: baby now. Roy Orbison the third, and oh,
3: yay.
1: he has a little little sight there. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I and, and uh, I just had a baby on, this on week, Bo. Oh,
0: congratulations! Mm-hmm. Congratulations! Really, yeah, Bo Orbison mm-hmm.
1: was born oh, February ninth, wow. two thousand and
3: eighteen. Wow, fantastic! Mm-hmm. That's so cool. So the legacy is going to go on and on and on. That's fantastic. Now I saw I saw a lot of announcements in regards to um, some of the uh, con- some of the music that you guys are doing. Where do you guys play locally there in Nashville, or do you travel with that? Well,
1: I have my own, own studio, music? a Pretty Woman studio, mm-hmm. and we do a lot of Orbison type projects there. Yes, and Mm -hmm. uh, we have a publishing company Still working music And uh, that's kind of a different branch Where we we have, uh, you know, songwriters And uh, we work in publishing And Alex was in several big bands Alex was in bands like Backbone, 69, Mm -hmm. and White Star And he's been on some reality shows And Wesley has an album, Spread Your Wings and, uh, And he he's a great songwriter and he really sounds like my dad when he when he wants to and um he toured with Johnny Cash a long time ago so Wesley's also wow. really pretty Oh really? That's great. Yeah, but I play um I play oldies kind of rockabilly stuff, kind of uh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Elvis and, and Chuck Berry kind of stuff. And uh, nice. we're doing a, we're doing a little show as the Orbison Brothers at um a Beatles fest in New oh, Jersey great. on March 10th and oh, uh okay I think 9th to the 11th so we're up in uh up in that area and um well we're going is that on tour on the Roy Orbison my dad is going okay. on tour as a hologram which is wow. oh, shocking wow. for people but uh there's a that Roy is. Orbison hologram with his voice and those songs Oh, wow. you know only the lonely crying pretty woman you oh, got wow. it love cute. hurts all those songs and that tour but oh I
3: want to go to that
1: it's international tour, <laughs> yeah. and they've got the hologram really looking amazing. It's kind of like a magic really? trick,
2: wow. but
1: um, it's interesting visually, and then the music is, of course, great, and there's live. In this case, it's the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. Mm-hmm. We had a that's number right. two album in England right at the end of 2017, and it's still on the charts in England. And uh, oh, We had great. a top 30 hit with Drove All Night mm-hmm. with uh, an English duo named Ward Thomas, and uh, then we sold, that thing's platinum already in uh, in England. Oh, and, uh, yeah, so that tour You're begins kidding. in Cardiff, Wales, on to. April 8th. And it goes on mm-hmm. a 20-day around England, and then it goes to, I think, Holland, Belgium, Switzerland, Germany. Cool. Eventually it makes it to Australia New Zealand, and then back into America next fall. So it should be going across America um, in about... Well, at the end of 2018,
0: Roy, I've got to tell coast? you something. I've got to tell you something. Your coast? father is looking over us right now, and he's so proud of you as his son. I could tell you, you know, for what you're doing for him in a pure light. and um, I think you're doing a wonderful thing. I'm sure Holly and I agree uh, Holly and I agree oh, it's fantastic. you're doing a wonderful fantastic. thing keeping, keeping mm. your father's name in such a great light. Uh, just let let, mm-hmm. let let it tell you that. You know, what I'm saying. Lily? Thank you very much. Oh, yeah. Thank you
1: very much. Well, in keeping some of these, uh, you know, the previous generations had a lot to offer. So, in keeping some, in my dad alive, we also help Ricky Nelson, and we help oh, Little wow. Richard, and we help, hmm. you know, all of them. And sure. so, um, you know, good music is. I I think it's fascinating. You can just flip back through the years, and you don't have to listen to all of the not so good stuff from the past you know you've got the best music through through the past hundred years of recorded um recorded music so i i have fun exploring backwards i'm sure a lot of people do and that's where you find someone like roy orbison with all these great songs a lot of them you already know and uh my dad happens to have a great story and he he just had a great style with his sunglasses and the,
3: mm-hmm.
1: the hat i mean not the hat the hair the hair the black hair okay. and the black clothes and uh and
3: um a beautiful human being just a beautiful human mm-hmm. being you know i wanted i wanted to say um really quickly about the music um you know we know a lot of the music but there's then there's a lot of other music that people aren't real familiar with unless they're real hardcore roy Orbison fans which most of the you know the people are but some of the music that you are going to be playing are uh, are pieces that we just haven't heard, right? Have you got unreleased uh, pieces that you're going to be playing that you've enhanced?
1: Uh, no, or? personally, I just I just do mm-hmm. the the hits of rock and roll, you know. So start at Ubu okay. and and uh, and then go through Sun Records stuff mostly, and uh, Buddy Holly mm-hmm. and Chuck Berry, and with a big bang and uh, but mm-hmm. as far as upcoming Orbison releases, well, we've already been doing that for the past five years. We we released um, the first album in many, many years of all new unreleased Orbison material. It was called oh. One of the Lonely Ones. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we released that uh, a couple of years ago and we've just re-released. For us, a lot of it is re-releasing. We add some bonus tracks, we find everything we can and uh, in some cases, Alex and Wesley and I jump in there. And um, if we can find someone better to do it, you know that would be all right. But it kind of needs to be uh, played with love. And we, Alex is just such a great drummer. We can't not use him. Mm-hmm. And, uh,
2: oh yeah. And
1: Wesley and I just love <laughs> uh, love uh, playing music. So so no, we're not playing unrelated. But but the stuff that we do on our own is an extension of my dad in, mm-hmm. in a, a lot of ways. There's sure. no getting too far from from the uh, roots.
3: The sound, the sound. Yeah, yeah exactly. absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, what I had brought up to Spencer and what I found really, really great were the quotes that were on the press release, the one that Elvis said that, uh, he says, you're just too good, I don't want to be on a stage with you. And uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then the one that um, we had <laughs> from Led Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin yep. and uh, other people, I mean, so many quotes from so many other musicians that, um, had such admiration for your father um, and I know you said Well, something once about again, Mike that's left with earlier. quotes
1: and that's left with music you know I, I'm a big music yep. um, fan myself and I, I like music trivia quite a bit too I like to know the story of oh why did Jim Morrison do this or all yeah. oh, the Rolling Stones switch the lyrics on, on the show why or what did they switch them from mm-hmm. or, and the, the relationships between all the songs so um so they left quotes, but more than the quotes, I like the. It's it's usually a little, you have to look a little deeper, but um, it doesn't matter if it's like Buddy Holly had on his first album had two Roy Orbison songs, uh, mm-hmm. a true, true love goodbye and an empty cup, and uh, and for me, the, what you don't need a quotation. He's doing Roy twenty percent of his first album is is Roy Orbison, and then that just kind of goes through the bedrock of modern music history that uh, nearly everyone on their way up encounters Roy Orbison that can be that can be uh Ricky Nelson or Jerry Lee Lewis right. or it can be Glen Campbell you know when I met Glen Campbell in 1974 he kind of had two songs it was Rhinestone Cowboy and uh and In Dreams by Roy Orbison
2: mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm.
1: And that that includes Van Halen and Tom Jones and just just everyone, um, all the way to I think we had another American Idol winner this year, and she won with an Orbison song. And uh, Carrie oh, won, wow. uh, Underwood, she won with the song "Crying." So when they really mm-hmm. when these American idol people get right to the final they whip out crying or some Roy Orbison <laughs> song I think this year was it's over
2: <laughs> by a local a local Nashville girl one
1: with it's over And I've seen puppets Really win. America's got talent this guy this fellow he's he's probably got 5 10 million people following him he was really big in puppets and he went to Las Vegas there and he's the puppet guy and wow. he won with the puppet singing crying no. He's the first big America's Got Talent. I'm sure he's very famous. <laughs> but, um, that is.
0: Yeah, so, so you don't need
1: quotation. It's written, it's, written no. it's written in music. Um, no. The quotations mm-hmm. that I prefer, the quotations are the musical quotations. The Beatles writing okay. the Day Tripper riff after Oh Pretty Woman. Yes, yeah, so you don't need a quotation by John Lennon. He wrote the riff Day Tripper. There's your quotation. It's a quotation no. of Pretty Woman.
3: You know, you know so let's the quotations hear some of this are trivia. everywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let yeah, I'd the... love for you to fill us in on some of this trivia cuz you know we both love the story behind the music and the story behind, you know, things that are happening. So we'd love to hear that. And again, if well, you missed you know, the beginning of the show, it'll be in iTunes. Yeah, go ahead. Want to hear I this. don't pick
1: small trivia when I talk about trivia, so I'm obviously aiming at the greats. So that's why I like to talk about mm-hmm. things like the Beatles or Elvis or, yeah, or you know, Buddy Holly. I'm I'm not uh, I'm, you know, Roy got a lot of things from all these people too. And uh, Roy toured with the Beatles in '63. Um, okay, but already in 60, 1962, the first Beatles radio show on the BBC. They did Dream Baby, which is uh, a Roy Orbison song. Incredible. uh, It was his big hit then. And so right on their first show, they did Dream Baby. And then here's one that – this is almost like a magic trick in itself. Go listen to Roy Orbison's Candyman and then listen to the Beatles' Love Me Do. And just listen to it back to back. And it does its own little thing. You start to notice, oh, there's harmonica in the, oh,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. there's a stop time phrase where it's all your own candy your candy, stop, Mm
2: -hmm. candy
1: man. And there's this love me, love me do. And there's oh, the love me do, candy man. Oh, it goes from the, it's a very kind of, it's kind of an easy chord progression, like from the one to the five back to the one. Both of them. So, so then you listen to them and you go, oh, okay. What did the Beatles actually do here? They added kind of a pre-chorus part. Uh, They did add another part, a B part, to the song, and then you have the song "Love Me Do." Mm -hmm. Oh wow! uh, So I that one jumps out. You, you know, you almost nobody ever has ever talked about that. You have to hear it. You have to experience it, and then you can make your Mm -hmm. own call on what you think. But um, but uh, it's really fun that Pretty Woman came out in 1964, and in 1965, just go look at any of your favorite bands and look for the Pretty Woman.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They all they all mm-hmm. rewrote it, you know. They, the wow. Rolling Stones wow. with Satisfaction, or mm-hmm. just just everyone, everyone who was That's on the scene at the thing. time uh, went and had to do the the beach. They all have their own Pretty Woman, and it's well, a it's a, a song boy, that begins with the drums.
0: What was your hold father on, in, as a as a musician? Uh, who Spencer, did, he, hold who on. did he like? Who did he like? Your father?
1: Well, um, he became such a songwriter that he kind of stopped listening to music because he didn't want to. St- he probably spent enough time. I've gotten to a point the same thing, where you, it's it's not a good feeling when you write this song and you kind of get to the end and you think, oh my gosh, I just rewrote Hotel California. Right. And so he you know and that happens to everyone but it must have happened to him because he he avoided listening to casual music um so it had to be something that he really liked and right. it depended on the purpose so I know in the early days he liked um he liked lefty frizzell and uh then Elvis Presley affected the whole world and right. so so then it was Elvis like everyone and I'm sure that affected him more than and uh, Chuck Berry was very big. And then that went all the way through. He kind of started liking people that he met, you know. Mm-hmm. So he would meet Bob Seger, and then he would listen to Bob Seger all summer. Wow. And um, then things, some things jumped out at him. Eventually, uh, I think he liked ZZ Top a lot. They were from Texas.
2: Really?
0: He liked the oh, guitar work.
1: Wow. Yeah, so he liked ZZ Top and mm-hmm. – uh, if it was good music, he it didn't it didn't he, he would zone in on one thing at a time, kind of like a
2: mm-hmm.
1: Eric Clapton's song, Layla, or mm-hmm. or a Beach Boys song. You know, when the Beach Boys had their big comeback, that that was about eighty six, and they had this song Kokomo. And uh, mm-hmm. Roy was just so proud of them for being back on the radio after so long, oh. and he kind of jumped up and did the same thing. So, I, mm-hmm. music always played an important part of his his life.
3: Thank you that's fantastic, yeah, definitely. you know, um the trivia part was so interesting to me too, yeah um, besides hearing what you, now what oh I what, can um, fill up it, books on that I, Oh, no, I'd love to hear more <laughs> if you if you want to tell us more because it's really interesting to me because I love it too, yeah. that's great, yeah,
1: yeah tell us well more. Um, here yeah. well, Roy was from Texas um. There's a lot of great musicians in Texas. There there always have been. It's a great uh melting pot of influences and um and I, I, there's just so many good musicians. They all seem to be good lyricists for whatever reason. Texas has has guys like Roy Orbison and Willie Nelson and uh and uh and then it's got its share of great guitar players like Freddie King and Steve Ray Vaughn. And mm-hmm. um of course Buddy Holly and Roy Orbison my two favorites from Texas but all, all the way till today um, so you don't hear those influences so much in Roy's music because he he jumped to Sun Records and then he he wanted to go even bigger with strings and and big production and that big production kind of invented what they call the Nashville sound nowadays it's kind of a more sophisticated uh, Floyd Kramer on piano had a lot to do with that sound. He kind of invented this little, this little plinkety plink. You know, it might be called a Kramerism or something. There's a little name for it. What he did on piano, and that with Chet Atkins' production and RCA Studio B, and the strings that Roy wanted, he didn't want them to sound country. And he did a song called Uptown in 1959. And that wasn't the only song. There's others, and there could have been something earlier. But, but Roy actually invented that Nashville sound that actually went all the way through the 70s in country music. And Roy wasn't country at all, and the song Uptown is, um, is a boogie woogie. But still, there's a, lot to, there's a lot to that. The Anita Kerr singers, those singers that Roy used on his early songs, like Crying um, and Blue By You, the great, great backup singers. They're also on songs like He Stopped Loving Her Today by George Jones. You know, uh, a couple years later, whatever, 74, 76, 72, whenever he did it. But Roy, in 1962, 10 full years earlier, was with all these guys and just great musicians that stand out as the greatest musicians. And once again, I'm not sure why these names aren't better known, but all those guys down at RCA Records Grady Martin, Hank Garland, mm. Floyd Kramer.
3: Oh yeah, definitely. Bob Moore,
1: yeah, you know all mm-hmm. of them. Um, Charlie McCoy, the greatest harmonica player who ever lived, and has played on more oh, wow. songs than any anyone has ever played on. Um, that kind of thing. You know, Roy was surrounded with great talent. Uh, there's no trivia there, but there's a lot of unknown knowledge. You know, everyone knows all the story about Fender guitar and Leo Fender, and they know all about the the minutia of so many places. They know all the little facts about all these places. And then, they, you know, you mentioned what is the greatest studio in the world. And uh, almost nobody says RCA Studio B. Nowadays, you might say Abbey Road, or you might say, oh, Stacks, Stax Records. That was the greatest thing. But my, my personal two or three favorites, uh, Sun Records, Chess Records, and RCA Studio B, no, oh yeah, definitely. Abbey Road, definitely.
0: Yeah. Abbey Road mm-hmm. those are the
1: four greatest studios of of all time. But there's also Norman Petty Studios Norman,
0: I was going to say that Norman Petty. I saw in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Norman Petty Studio, right?
1: Yeah, that's something that uh, Norman built up um, with his great hits, and uh, he had a couple of Buddy picks, Holly, can't of them all.
0: Roy, Buddy Holly. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, Roy uh, mentioned uh, Buddy. Uh, Buddy was talking to Roy in the street one day, and uh, oh. Roy told him, "Oh, well, there's something going on over at at Norman Petty Studios. When I look back at it now with hindsight, um, I realize, oh, there weren't that many places in the world for a, a, a young man or a poor man or woman to play back in those times. Uh, mm-hmm. It was the early advent, mm-hmm. e- even, even though it was 1950, you know, 55, 56, 57. Um, that was just a decade or two after the popularization of the radio for political purposes. The, the, the campaign elections, which are s- such big topics in today's world, they were big back then, and, and Roosevelt did a tour,
3: and they mm. were traveling
1: by train and doing radio oh. all around the country. Oh. After, after a little while, the, the musicians started to get in there, and you had the West Coast and the East Coast, New York and, and California taking up a lot of the, a lot of the airwaves. But you had great bands, and you had people like uh, Frank Sinatra coming up through the the system at the time. And then this would have been – Norman Petty would have been one of the three or four places that are independent, you know, where um, a normal man could go in and record. Now, I'm not sure what Elvis Presley or Buddy Holly or Roy or Johnny Cash, for that matter, how how they thought they were actually going to get to record – but they were persistent and they showed up at radio stations and they went to these places and, and they made some of the early rock and roll um, albums of their generation which ended up being um, a pivotal generation and, uh, and everything comes out of that now. Almost every style of music you can trace back to a handful of people at Chess Records and Sun Records.
3: Definitely, definitely. I can see that. Definitely, yeah. Um, you know, what was Christmas like around your house? That's what I want to know because I I, ha- I read somewhere that he loved Christmas.
1: Oh yes, well we all love Christmas, and um, our early years, uh, sometime mostly we would be at home. After mm-hmm. after I was born, then Alex was born four years later, and so my dad had a family, and he was. Sammy retired He wasn't writing songs so much or trying to, trying to play the music uh, business. Um, and so he was at home a lot. So Christmas would be the, uh, everyone in the family, and we didn't have a very big family, but when my grandparents came over and uh, Barbara's parents and uh, the uncles and the band, a lot of times there would be band and roadies and great. kind of bodyguard people. And then there was always the neighbor, you know, the neighbors. So, Johnny Cash always, Johnny and June and John Carter Cash, they drop by the house every Christmas, and we drive over to their house. And, um, yeah. So, we had great, great, uh, great, great Christmases, usually snowy. A lot of them were in Hendersonville. Then later on, we had Christmas at the beach in Malibu. So,
2: Mm. nice. So, very different (laughs) kind of (laughs) experience.
1: And uh, that would be, that was more like a surfing Christmas. You know, we Alex mm-hmm. and I would actually go in the water, you know, on on Christmas Day. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, that was how we celebrated. Where it was on, at the beach.
0: Did Roy Orbison meet the Beach Boys? By the way, uh, Roy, did your father meet the Beach Boys?
1: Well, as I said, everyone as they come up, you know, and I I don't want to sound like I'm bragging all the time, but as they came up, and that includes everybody. Yeah. You know, that's what I'm saying. That, that's really everybody, but Elvis. Right. If your name isn't, you know, before that. Um, then, then you're after that, and so the Beach Boys toured uh, all of these bands. They did none of the greatest songwriters, the people that are considered the greatest now, would be like Lennon and McCartney, and Richards, and Jagger, and uh, the Beach Boys. Uh, they and, and and people like Elton John and and all those people came up through Roy Orbison. So the Beatles, uh, the Beach Boys would be 1963, their first big tour. They they hadn't written any songs. Um, I repeat that all the time because, you know, the Rolling Stones, they didn't write any songs. They go on tour with Roy Orbison, and they come out, and they start writing, both (laughs) rockers, Mm -hmm. satisfaction, and ballads. Oh, suddenly Mick Jagger knows how to do a ballad. Oh, that's Mm. very interesting. Uh, Same thing. The Beach Boys, they rewrote Chuck Berry's song, um, Sweet Little 16, into Surfing USA. And I, I don't know how people don't oh, even wow. hear that. Most people don't realize that. You That's just, incredible. It's, it's the same thing. Great you just instead, mm-hmm. of, uh, instead of, you know, uh, St. Louis, all over St. Louis, they mm-hmm. just made it about surfing. So all over right. La Jolla, Wyoming brilliant. Bay, everybody's gone surfing, Sweet mm-hmm. Little 16. It's right. the same songs. So they – uh li- and, the, and the Stones were kind of cool. doing the same things. They had a couple of songs. They had Time is on your side. And, you go on, so they go on tour with Roy, and they come out with Pet Sounds. <laughs> yeah, see. Okay, and that is an literally the sequence. You go a tour, right. you go write Pet yeah. Sounds, you come out, with a great. You go on tour with Roy, and you go write your masterpiece. <laughs>
3: that's right. That's Boy, right. That's you know, and
1: that includes all Boy, of them. Like, I yeah, mean, honestly, and they all part. say that before me. They've all said it. John Lennon will tell you that. Um, Chris Isaac will tell you that. Glenn Danzig, Don mm-hmm. McLean, Katie Lang. Mm. All of them. Yep. Oh,
3: yeah. That Katie I Lane it. quote was really, well, you, really, really, icon, makes really, really, amazing, it so amazing too.
1: Yeah, it makes it mm-hmm.
0: so intense, Roy, uh, the influence of your father. I mean, it just brings out the point that no other musician is like that. Where you go off a tour and, you know, they don't have influences like that. Your father influenced so many great musicians. That's, a, that's amazing in my mind.
1: Yes, it is. He, he was. He was swimming with a great pack. You know, it was a group of them. So it's a little Richard and it's, um, you know, lesser known people um, as well along the way. Um, And my dad surrounded himself with, he attracted greatness. You know, I don't know what spiritual principles do that, but it starts to look like luck because they're in the right place at the right time all the time. Wow. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. uh, and Roy um, happened to be... It's just uncanny. He was at the right place at the right time. And, well, it's, he drew that to himself. See, wherever he was, was the place to be. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I can relate that in so many fun different ways. But Roy was the only person I know who flew on a plane with Patsy Cline, Buddy Holly, wow. Jim Reeves, Otis oh Redding, God. and Ricky Which- Nelson. Roy has actually sat next to those guys and had conversations on the plane going from Chicago <laughs> to That's Canada. That's great. And, um, mm-hmm. and all of them uh, tragically died in, in plane crashes. Um That's true. And uh, so Roy was on planes, and uh, so you're always kind of, you're at the right place at the right time, and uh, you're not at the wrong place at the wrong time, but, um, and those kind of things, um, he would always give credit to, to other people when he was complimented, and um he enjoyed music on, on just a basic level.
3: That's fantastic. That's mm-hmm. just so mm-hmm. cool to hear. Yeah, I mean, uh, as
1: I was saying, he—he he was. I just put I put him in there with the the whole movement uh, of America. So mm-hmm. you were talking about the influence, and see, that's a two way street. That's what I figured out, kind of, in my old age. When I was little, I used to just be mm-hmm. proud. I was like, yeah, my dad did that. But uh, but now I realize, oh, for, you have to give to get. That and That's so Roy true. put a lot out there, right. and the 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 universe gave it back, and uh, and he was swimming with these people. He was like as a, a a school of fish, and so mm-hmm. yeah, he he got Chris Isaac to open the show when Chris was starting out, and and he helped all oh, these really? guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all, all the way through. Oh, I didn't all, know all that. The way yeah. So the Beatles, you know, the Beatles are. It's a mm-hmm. local band, and they've broken really big, and they're the biggest thing in England, but Roy's a little bigger than the Beatles, and so they're asking him if they can open the show. Roy wouldn't be threatened at all. He was like, fine, open the show. You hear all these things about Jimi Hendrix and Pete Townshend, you know, and things like that. And it, that goes all the way back. I mean, Johnny Cash and Jerry Lee Lewis, they used to argue about who was going to close the show in the early days. So that kind of thing goes on, and Roy never cared. Roy would hear Johnny mm-hmm. and Jerry argue and He'd go... Boys, I'll open the show. He'd go out with his one hit Ooby Doobie and play it for like ten minutes and oh. get out of there. And uh and he was always like that. Uh, just very um he gave a lot. He gave he, he taught many, many musicians and and uh, helped so many along the road, you know, everywhere everywhere we went, people would come and say, Your dad saved my life. Da 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 da. And a lot of those people become really big. A lot of those people become really big later on and you're like, Oh yeah, so mm-hmm. So yeah, that's how Roy was friends with Rocky Marciano. Mm. You know, oh, or wow. just, it, it goes—it's—it's it's gangsters and politicians, mm. mm-hmm. um, all through the decades.
0: Well, let me you know, ask you, and scientists. How, and, and how, how did the and scientists. And get along, Roy?
1: Well, they got along great because they had both—they had all been through so much in music, and they got to shape this. Um, George Harrison was a was a very smart man and he knew what he wanted and how to do it and uh, they did the business themselves and they had all been ripped off so much they would probably agree with that how did the Traveling Wilburys get along so well well they got ripped off by major labels for the first 50 years and then they became the Traveling Wilburys and set themselves free from from those kind of things and uh, that was also just done with the, the purest kind of fun intent and intention uh, all, all of the Wilburys, you know, they did that. They did that for the listener, not even just for the fan, but whoever mm-hmm. was going to listen to that. They did that for themselves a bit, but a lot just for the actual people. And I, it's been a long time since anyone did that. You know, it's it didn't have so much ego. They wanted it to be fun, good music to listen to, and uh, oh, wow. and so they all had their own agendas in their own in, in their own music, but in this. It was just about having fun and and making music that was in in key and in tempo with nice song structures and a little bit of thought. Mm-hmm. You know,
2: Roy,
0: I got to tell you something. When Jeff Slate plays in New York, and I've seen him several times, I'm telling you for the last couple. This is the last couple of years he plays the Traveling Berries on every set, every set he's ever played.
1: Oh yeah, well it's mm-hmm. a really smart thing to do. Um, I'm surprised more people don't do that because it's a way to to pay a respect to Tom Petty or Mm Kathleen.
3: Absolutely.
1: And so, so so almost anyone can throw a Wilbury song into their set and make it make sense. Mm -hmm. So, so, and if you like any one of those guys, you know, so I've spent my whole adult life, a traveling Wilbury fan. Yes.
3: Oh yeah, absolutely. On that one, you know, I wanted to ask about the black and white sessions. Um, that that those seemed to be something that he really enjoyed doing that there was just so great he had so many people playing on that Elvis costello uh yeah, Bruce springsteen uh Katie oh, yeah. lang mm-hmm. um, well it was a
1: great show and it's a real monument mm-hmm. to modern music it's um mm-hmm. uh i don't know if it's uh if it's a, you know official on uh, rolling stone or or wherever but but that song is one of the greatest uh, concerts ever recorded, it is and
2: incredible. we're just Absolutely. really lucky.
1: Uh, I mean, not the song. It's called uh-huh. the Black and White Night. It's a Black and White Night mm-hmm. concert, and uh, mm-hmm. we filmed it in Los Angeles in uh, 1987. And, incredible concert. Yeah, and it, it's uh, we Alex and Wesley and I re-released it um, with uh, Sony on in 2000 and uh, last year, 2017. Last about about one year ago, and we included wow. a lot mm-hmm. of bonus footage and it it has mostly alternate camera angles. And so that's that that album still lives and breathes today. I just kind of wish we had more of those kind of things. You know, we should have been doing that more so because um because Roy you know, there was a lot of things that I remember that weren't on tape and I'm like, oh but he he had fun it's good that we have that as an example for you to see what Roy was capable of because Mm In the old days, and they said this about nearly every band, it's funny, nearly every band up until about 20 years ago was a live band, you know, and that didn't matter who you were talking to. But um, there were certain people where live really meant something different, and it's hard to describe because that that won't come our way again. um, It's true. But my dad was one of those that people would actually just burst into tears in the audience, you know. and. uh,
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and so that's that's real emotion, and there's just something. It was like watching a man on a tightrope, and like he makes it through the hardest, hardest you know, tightrope walk to the other side, and and then waves at you, and it's it's oh, and the, the the relief at the end of that. So I'm trying to think of people like that, but once again, those early guys, uh, they were from a, They were connectors to a different time, and so. So, yes, there was a lot of bands that there's just no way to do them justice. I imagine Led Zeppelin is kind of like that. You can look at videos, and Mm -hmm. they're great. You can play it loud, and I'm happy we have it. But there's something about the dimension of sound bouncing off the walls and the community of live music with another audience member and uh, just the kind of tribal community you can make in a a night. And, And my dad had that in an emotional way. And so, uh, so people would come year after year the, to hear the same songs and Roy didn't even change the set list. He just went out and did his show of his great songs. And, uh, oh,
3: that's great.
1: you know, he didn't need gimmicks to, um, to yeah. sell that show. So he didn't have to switch them around mm-hmm. and rewrite new, new ones. And, uh, so he was happy. Uh, music, as I, as I said, uh, music is still everything. It's what we do. And, um, so I highly recommend finding a little Roy Orbison music. Uh, he's got songs for nearly every stage in life, and so he's also like the classics—a good one to revisit every ten years or so, you know. And I do that your, myself. Your father, I go through a period. You know, I, your, I go Roy, through Orbison periods where I listen to nothing replaced. but Roy Orbison for six oh, months, and then I I go for a little while and come back to it.
3: That's fantastic. That's that's mm-hmm. just. That's just so cool, you know. When well, you about Well, thank go you very
1: much. I, I've had a great time being here, and
3: uh, no, we love any it. Any other any other thing that I should hair. mention? Uh, yeah. What yeah. I wanted to ask real quickly before we um, go into our closing song is a little bit about you said about some things that are coming up. I wanted to know what you are currently working on and your brothers, and then about again, let's reiterate this. Uh, thing that's coming up I believe you said in March that you're going to be playing yeah
1: March uh, 9th 10th, and 11th is a Beatles fest okay. in New Jersey but you know okay. we have the worldwide tour of the hologram beginning April 8th 2018th right. and okay. uh, that hits all the major metropolitan areas in the UK uh, or in and, uh, and we have the book out we have a documentary called Love Hurts um, that should be out in some form at the moment, I think it's just Australia and uh, and England, but it's starting to go through Europe and should be easy to find uh, in America soon enough. Um, we are always working on a lot of projects, so we have more good Orbison albums and surprises coming up, but we're working on a movie, which should be a couple of years away. Oh, I'm cool. guessing
3: 2020.
1: Wow. But, you know, we have a good script and a good team on that starting to move. Um, we have... Um, We always just have so many things, so many things. We have, you know, it doesn't matter if it's serious Radio or Gibson Guitar or Fender or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or the Musicians Hall of Fame or the Country Music Hall of Fame. We're building a Royal Orbison Museum in Nashville. There's a play of Pretty Woman coming out. The musical Pretty Woman is out in Chicago. Probably going to be the biggest um, play of all time. Again, you know, and probably trigger a remake of the movie, I imagine, in the next five years. Pretty Woman, redone for another generation. I'm talking about the Julie Roberts thing here. And, yes. Uh,
2: with, just so uh-huh. much, you know, with we're working gear. on many plays mm-hmm.
1: and more documentaries and, um, and all of that leading to just finally concluding my dad's life's work. You know, and, it's, it's actually been very difficult emotionally and getting through the, the music business. Jumping through all the hoops and the lawsuits and the different companies, and and that keeps on getting more and more complicated in today's world. But we're we're still trying to bring <laughs> complete my dad's uh, music, Aww. just get the music out there yeah. to the fans, the legacy, the yeah, legacy. and that will probably no, go important. on for another five hundred years after I'm gone. <laughs> but uh, oh, but at the moment, we we just Your have fun. Son. I have a new baby. Yeah, I don't even know how to answer yep. these questions cuz I have a baby and I'm probably retired and just hanging out with the babies.
2: At the same time, I've just started
1: playing live. So, I would love to play Vegas and Rockabilly festivals and all over England oh, and I think so I may just great. do that for fun. Come meet some of the Orbison mm-hmm. lovers out there.
3: Well, great. well we want to both we both want to thank you so much and I wanted to say to everyone again this show if you tuned in late will be available on iTunes afterwards and also on Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio On Demand. And again, we have Roy Orbison, Jr. with us today, and we're talking about the new Authorized Roy Orbison book by Roy's Boys and uh, also about some of the up-and-coming um, events that are going to be happening. I'm really interested in the movie thing. Is it, is it going to be a documentary or is it going to be a uh, drama Type or movie based oh, on his Oh, it's, it's, um,
1: it? it's written by the people who did Stand By Me, if that means anything. Okay. All those years ago, well, yeah. about 1986,
3: you yeah. know, a really mm-hmm. great
1: movie that my mom saw all those years. It actually was probably like 1991 or 92. It was in the 90s, I think. So, But it's been a mm-hmm. while. And um, my mom, Barbara Orbison, who um, she uh, tragically died December 6, 2011, but on the same day, Roy died December 6, 1988, they both died on the same day somehow
3: Wow uh, But
1: she saw that movie and she said Oh, okay. I would love for your dad's movie to be like this
3: <laughs> And,
1: uh, and well, I knew what she meant I said, you know, you're right There's something and All these years later we, we wanted something kind of uh, dreamy Kind of romantic mm-hmm. So it is a drama And it's a, it's a music um, movie And it's a music bio But every different artist has their angle And, uh, and it's cool for kind of different reasons in our case, we wanted, you know, I said, well, you know, it can't be too romantic, can it, if it's a Roy Orbison movie? So we're hoping to make something really just a, a love story set with a kind of a Disney fantastic. kind of romance.
3: Yeah, that That'd takes so you cool. back to I the, can't wait.
1: you know, it takes you back in time a little bit. and uh, The
3: beginning. hmm
1: mm-hmm.
3: And all the stories along the way. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, we want to definitely mm-hmm. have you back um, on the Thank show. Thank you. When uh, yes,
1: thank you, you very know, much. Enjoy
3: your son yep. this weekend, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Spencer, did you have anything you wanted to add to this?
1: No, I think
0: we got it all in. Uh, Roy, the best from both of us, and uh, I'm so glad you came on the show. And, and it's really great to just be in the in the uh, historic music genre with with you and your dad and your life.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, thank great, you. Rock and roll. Great time. Rock and roll. Thank you. And we're gonna <laughs> end with we're bye gonna bye. end with pretty woman and you have a great weekend. So we're you gonna too. end oh, our show today. Too. Yeah, we're gonna end our show with pretty woman and uh thank you for tuning in and we'll be back next week. Have a great one.
1: You too.